as we gather around the written word and listen to the spoken word. May we meet with the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Waiting. See what I did there? Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Those of you who were here last week will have heard me say that I'm not very good at waiting. Um, I don't really like it. Um, We just sung a song after the sermon and it had the line, waiting here for you in it. Um, and And I suggested we should do a bit of waiting. If you were here, I wonder how you found that just being still and stopping for a moment. If you weren't, uh, maybe imagine how would you, you would have felt just being asked to sit in quiet and wait. As I've been going through this week, this idea has kept recurring for me. Um, we have morning prayer most mornings with the staff team, and the readings this week have, have just nagged me about this theme, about this. Um, We've had readings where the idea of waiting for God, waiting on God and how important it is have been repeated. But also on the same days we've had readings from other places in the Bible, particularly the Psalms, which have lines like, Wake up, God! And do not delay, Lord! So it all feels like all week I've been living with this tension between faithful and patient waiting on God and honest and heartfelt pleading with God to act to bring about the peace and the justice of the promised kingdom now. And as I've been thinking about this, I've just been reflecting that actually I think we live with this tension the whole time. It comes into particular focus at, at this time of the year, at Advent perhaps, when we're thinking about being ready for Jesus' return, when we're encouraged to pray for Jesus' return, when we actively look forward to Jesus' return. As I was reflecting on it this week... Uh, and looking at the Bible readings for this morning, I, I was drawn to the references to pregnancy and wondered if, if that might just give us some ways of exploring some of these ideas around waiting and living in the light of a hopeful future that you, you want to happen now. Now, I am a little bit hesitant about this because I am not, never have been, and never will be pregnant. I am married to someone who has been pregnant. I have experienced some of the joys and difficulties of pregnancy, but they've all been second-hand, a close second-hand, but second-hand nonetheless. I'm also really aware that the whole whole area subject of pregnancy can be really painful for many. For those who have longed for a pregnancy that has never come, for those whose pregnancies have ended in grief. So I do aim to tread gently. Let's begin with our reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, this example is one of those situations in the prophetic books in the Bible where we actually have a really good idea what was going on in the historical context. The situation that the people of God are in as Isaiah is speaking is very clearly described both earlier in chapter 7 of Isaiah and in 2 Kings chapter 16. King Ahaz is the king of Judah, with his capital in Jerusalem. And his two northern neighbours, the kings of Israel and of Aram, 
had joined forces to invade Judah and attack Jerusalem. And in in the face of this uh, hostility, Ahaz is trying to work out what he's going to do, and he's considering asking one of the two superpowers in the region, who at that time were Assyria and Egypt, no, Assyria up here, Egypt over here, to come to Jerusalem's defence. But if he did this, that would mean that whoever he asked would then expect him to pay tribute, to pay for the help. And in the middle of all these conversations and Ahaz trying to work out what to do, God sends Isaiah to the king to encourage him to have faith, to trust in God that the invasion would fail and he would not need to turn to one of these other superpower nations to save Israel. And with this call to courage and patience and trust comes a challenge. Just before the bit that Ali read for us in verse 9, God says to Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. And that's where we pick the story up this morning. With God offering Ahaz a sign to confirm what's being said. And Ahaz refuses. Because as the writer of the Kings puts it, Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God. Ahaz wasn't interested in knowing if God was speaking the truth. He had his own plans for getting out of the situation and he didn't want God getting involved. But God offers a sign anyway. The young woman will conceive and give birth to a son and she will call him Emmanuel. Before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. Now we might have a question here. What is the sign? You see, in Hebrew, which is what this was written in, the word for young woman means exactly that. It carries no particular sense of whether or not she'd been sexually active whether she was married or not. So, for the original hearers, the sign was not about the miraculous conception of a child. For them, it was all about timing. This is all about the length of a pregnancy and the time it takes for a child to be weaned. This is Isaiah saying, in very poetic language, within about three or four years, the two kings threatening you will be gone. Trust God. That's what Isaiah is saying. And what happened? Well, Ahaz didn't trust God. He sent huge amounts of gold and silver to the king of Assyria, who invaded Aram and put that king to death. Before long, the king of Israel, the other king who had threatened them, had been assassinated in a palace coup. So, in some senses, the prophecy did come about. But not in the way that God intended. And because Ahaz had turned to Syria... Do you know the thing with big superpowers? What happens if you send them a bit of gold? Hmm, they know you've got some gold. A little bit of gold doesn't tend to satisfy them. And they came back for the rest. It wasn't many decades before both Israel and Judah had both been invaded and all the people had been taken into exile because Jerusalem had been sacked and all the gold and silver had gone. So this pregnancy in Isaiah wasn't a supernatural one. It was a normal, everyday one. It was the reliable length of a healthy pregnancy that was the point. 
The king and the people were being encouraged to wait, but it was a wait with a known end point and a promise of what was to happen at that end. And the question was, would they stand in faith and wait? In many ways, Mary's pregnancy was completely different. It wasn't normal or everyday. It did begin supernaturally, not in the usual way, but by the creative work of the Holy Spirit in her womb. It was so unusual that it led Joseph to consider divorcing Mary. He knew that he wasn't the father. And it took great faith on his part to trust Mary and the message that the angel of God brought to him. But despite the unusual start, we get the sense that this pregnancy was a cause of celebration, as many pregnancies are. When we read Luke's historical account of Jesus' life, we hear about Mary going to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was also miraculously pregnant. And when they see each other, they praise God and they sing, Mary sings, the mighty one has done great things for me. We sang that a bit earlier. The Lord has done great things for me. You're going to sing another version of this later. Mary, despite all the difficulties and the challenges and the confusion, and how has this happened? She counted it as a great thing. The Mighty One has done a great thing for me. As the pregnancy went on, it's likely that Joseph and Mary completed their betrothal period and got married, and they prepared to move to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem. And alongside this would have been the normal preparations for the birth of a baby, getting in the swaddling cloths, etc., whatever those might be. Um, But it seems that these preparations were disrupted by all the extra people coming to town for the census. But despite that, the end of the pregnancy was a day of joy, of celebration and of wonder, which we're going to be celebrating through this week and then this time next Sunday. But for Mary, the waiting didn't end when her pregnancy ended. Throughout Jesus' life, we hear her pondering what is happening. She carried the words of the angels that her son would be Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus, God saves. But what did that mean? How would it work out? She pondered these things as she waited, as she watched So with these reflections in mind, I wonder what insights it might give us to consider this time. Between Jesus' first appearance on earth and his return to earth as a pregnancy. The new age has begun. The kingdom of God has broken through. A new life has been formed, but it's not yet seen. We can feel the kicks, the turns... We might catch a glimpse of what it looks like in a sonogram, but we can't see it clearly yet. We see as in a glass darkly. It's a time of preparing, of getting things ready. In his teaching, Jesus repeatedly commanded his followers to be awake, to be alert, to be ready for his return. And for a baby, that includes getting the clothes, painting the nursery, going to antenatal classes. For us, 
It includes living each day in the light of Jesus' soon return, keeping short accounts with God and with each other, treating each other with love, gentleness and compassion, not holding grudges but forgiving, and being open to the possibility that we might need forgiving. And what about waiting? This is perhaps one of those places where the parallel breaks down a bit. As we know, most pregnancies last about nine months. We have no idea how long it's going to be before Jesus will return. We are waiting for something, and we don't know how long the wait will be. Towards the end of most pregnancies, most women I've known have been thoroughly fed up with being pregnant and wanted the baby born as soon as possible. Is that just my experience of getting a few nods out there, maybe? They want the pregnancy to go on long enough for the baby to be born safely and healthily, but are also impatient to meet baby. This seems to me to take me back to where I began this morning. This tension, this dynamic between trusting God's timing and being impatient to see the full glory of the kingdom. But the more I've thought about it, the less I actually think it's something we need to resolve. You see, as long as our impatience doesn't lead us to try and take the place of God, drive us to depend on other powers, as Ahaz did, then I believe that we can continue to pray and to cry out to God and ask God to move soon. And for me, that is rooted in the second to last verse of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22, which perhaps in one very short sentence summarizes the whole spirit of Advent. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.